As I uh, mentioned when we left off, I left off at a uh, just before and right as we came to the Synod in J Saskatoon, Saskatchewan in June 1986. You'll recall that four of our bishops, Bishops Jensen, Blythe, Stephen Walker, and, and James L Ellison had resigned in May of 1986 and only one of them, Bishop uh, Ken Jensen uh, himself decided to come to the Senate at all, and that simply to present his, his resignation in person and to uh, answer any questions or whatever um, discussion that there might, might be, and not to participate in the events of the Senate itself. I had been asked by the Senate in January of 1986 to prepare a paper and presentation on the issue of apostolic succession. Over the course of those months, I waded through plenty of patristic material and modern orthodox material and just about everything I could get my hands on that discussed that particular issue. I will summarize just a couple of points from that teaching. If you would like to peruse it a little bit more depth, it was subsequently published as a booklet by Conciliar Press with the title of Apostolic Succession. And that is substantially the presentation that I gave at the Holy Synod in June of 1986. I came to the conclusion and presented to the Holy Synod that apostolic succession is more than what we were thinking it to be. Our conception of it was more legalistic. You know, the Western Church has a kind of a mentality about apostolic succession that it has to do with validity of ordination and that it is something that inheres in the individual bishop. That is, let's say if a bishop is ordained consecrated, that he even leaves the church and goes out and ordains another bishop, consecrates another bishop, that bishop is still, by virtue of the fact of having hands laid on by a person who had their hands laid on, by a person who had their hands laid on, a bishop who was ultimately ordained by the apostles, still has the apostolic succession. And that conception is a very legalistic one, to use a a term that might not be exactly clear. And what happens is then you're always evaluating whether any particular individual person is within the succession or not. That is not the orthodox viewpoint. What we came to see, or, and what I presented there, is that apostolic succession is actually something that inheres in the church, in the community itself. And what the true apostolic succession is, is the continuation of faith and life in continuity with the apostles. And it is a sacramental action and not a, a legal action. By, because of that, if one separates oneself from the community, one is no longer in the succession. It does not matter if you have been ordained by somebody or by somebody by somebody. There, if you're away from the communion of the sacrament of the church, you're not in the succession. Therefore, 
from the Orthodox perspective, it doesn't matter whether the Episcopal Church, for example, has some traceable lineage of apostolic succession or, or, or not, because the fact that they're not in communion with the church simply says they're not in, in communion with the church, they're not part of the body, and ipso facto, not part of the apostolic succession. What we did not have was any kind of sacramental connection to the historic church. It therefore, as a matter of ecclesiology, was impossible to construct a church apart from the rest of the church and genuinely be a church. Now, do you understand what the implications of that would be in the discussion we had a little bit ago? It doesn't matter if you take all the parts and you put it together and it looks like a Buick, but if it ain't made by Buick, it ain't a Buick. Or if it ain't made by, that's Father Peter's illustration. It, <laughs> even if it has all the characteristics of a patristic church, if it doesn't have a living sacramental connection, it's not the church. Therefore, if we are going to truly be orthodox, or even on the other side, if we're going to be patristic and have a church that has the same ecclesiology as the fathers, we have to be sacramentally in the church. Now, I know Father Jack has said, we told you that for years. You know, okay, <laughs> fine. <laughs> but that was precisely the ecclesiological issue that was keeping us in this tension. Therefore, at one level, then, we had to do something theologically in, in order to continue to even be the church. Well, I, I presented this, and I had, had the biblical material, patristic material, went, went through that. And at the end of the, the presentation, Bishop Harold made the first comment that I remember, where he said, if he's right, we don't have any choice. And so there was a, there was a kind of a settled, settling consensus that, that came into the council after that, that we had to do something to come into the historic church. Well, what was the offer on the table at the moment was the proposal from Metropolitan Philip to come into the Antiochian Archdiocese. As a result then, we decided to meet with Metropolitan Philip, I guess we'd already scheduled the, the meeting, in September in Englewood, New Jersey at the, at the headquarters of the Archdiocese. Now, the, the rest of the summer um, was rather tense, and the rest of the synod was actually rather tense. Uh, you know, I say a consensus settled, but it was settled with a lot of uh, shouting and screaming and, you know, the, a bit of, well, you know, no, again, that no small debate uh, issue. Some of the brethren, even if we might agree that we need to approach the uh, Antiochian Archdiocese, still felt that we had not been accurately represented and that our genuine life was not being accurately represented. Liturgically, for example, we were still separated. We, we still didn't know quite what to do with that. We proposed sending videos of different liturgies from different churches. We proposed uh, maybe doing two different liturgies for Metropolitan Philip. We didn't really know what to do with, with, with all of that. And the, the tensions still were very high 
as that summer went on. I have letters that I won't bother to read from different bishops to each other trying to encourage us to either go in or encourages us, encourage us to wait a while and you know, try to get the other brethren to come back. And, and this, this tension continues. In the meantime, yeah, Father Mark? The tension I remember at that Saskatoon Synod was Father Gordon Walker saying such things as the Evangelical Orthodox Church is dead. And the tension of that and the arguments, I mean, that with Jensen leaving, right? Is yes. calling that right? Uh, yes, it was. It, Father Gordon was one who just sent a five-page, single-spaced letter begging us to come into uh, the church. And one of the things that he noted was that there was a. And, and in retrospect, I think he was correct about uh, about this. It, there, there was a sense that the grace for us operating together outside the church was being pulled back. And it was God kind of saying, you know. You, you, you need to come in or you're going to kill each other or you're not at least not going to be able to work together like you had before it's just it's that's part of the you know, as Dr. Rossi's been saying it's the Lord you know all these things that that happen it, you, you can't really at the moment tell exactly what it is but but it it is is a pull in uh, September 1986 uh, our remaining synod uh, 15 members plus observers from various places came to meet with Metropolitan Philip on a Friday and a Saturday. I think it was September 5th and 6th. We arranged to stay at St. Vladimir's Seminary. And most of us at least stayed in the dormitory there. The school was just about to get in session but wasn't quite in session so uh, there's a little window there for us to, to, to meet. 